it feels like our country is being torn apart and the world, the whole world is watching. We are watching to see what will happen. Where will things go next? What took place a week ago yesterday in Charlottesville, just a few hours to the west here, really cannot, should not be ignored, nor should it be brushed aside. Those images are now burned into our minds. We cannot unsee them. The question is, now what will we do with them? We must pay attention and respond. Most of us, if not all of us, have visited Charlottesville, picturesque little town many times before we spent time there. We may have family members who attended the University of Virginia, UVA, or maybe we ourselves are graduates of that. We shake our heads in disbelief. How did things get to this point where there is so much anger, there is so much unrest, so much tension evident everywhere? in our culture right now, it seems. Not just in Charlottesville, but practically everywhere we look. We seem to be treading the same ground, fighting the same battles that our forebears did in previous generations. And I wonder, have we learned anything from history from those who have gone before us? Prejudice, bigotry, racism, white supremacy, these things are not dead and buried in the distant past. Nope, they are alive and well among us as we have all seen. Our hallowed First Amendment rights specifically allow and provide for the freedom of speech, something we hold near and dear to our hearts, as we should, as well as the right of the people peaceably to assemble. All of this seems to be sorely tested at this particular point in time with torchlight processions bearing the Nazi swastika. The white hoods and robes of the Ku Klux Klan. Are these peaceable assemblies? The underlying premise of such organizations is inherently evil. It calls for the subjugation, the domination, even the annihilation of people groups who are deemed to be inferior to those who advocate such things, to those who engage in intimidation, in threats and acts of violence, to further such an agenda, we stand upon the inerrant and life-giving word of God, which tells us all, owe no one anything except to love one another. 
for the one who loves has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any other commandment are summed up in this word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. When we fall short of loving our neighbor, we have missed the mark. And that is what our faith is all about, isn't it? Love from God to us in Jesus Christ overflows in love for our neighbor. When we fall short of loving our neighbor, hard as it may be at times to love our neighbor, we turn to the Lord in repentance. It is what Christ calls us to do. Our summer preaching series on the Augsburg Confession continues this day as we focus on repentance, the Christian way of life. May the Lord's rich and abundant blessing rest upon the preaching, the hearing, and the living of his word for Jesus' sake. As the children's message pointed out, today's scripture lessons make clear that God's covenant of grace goes far beyond just the narrow confines of the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the chosen race of Israel. That Old Testament reading from Isaiah 56 points this out, and here the Lord clearly proclaims that foreigners outcasts, outsiders, not just the house of Israel, are to be included in that covenant of grace. The Lord Jesus himself quotes this passage from Isaiah. Remember when he cleansed the temple? After he came into Jerusalem, driving out the money changers who had set up a monopoly there in the shadow of the temple, for offerings, sacrificial offerings used in worship at the temple, all done with the tacit approval of temple authorities and the religious leaders. Jesus drove them all out. And he said, my house shall be called a house of prayer for all people. Problem here is that we have assumed the role of being God's gatekeepers, of deciding who gets in and who stays out. We continually try to narrow down and limit what God has said. Salvation is indeed for all people through the life and death and resurrection of Jesus Christ received by God's grace through faith. We know this, we believe this, we confess this, and yet we are not always comfortable with the wideness of God's mercy. What about those people? 
and you can fill in the blank about who those people are. Over against this, here is what the Lord calls us to do. Keep justice, do righteousness, for soon my salvation will come and my righteousness will be revealed. And there it is. Try as we might, and in spite of our best intentions, our justice, our righteousness will be imperfect because it is tainted with sin because that sin clings so closely throughout our entire span of life. This is why God sent his only son to be the atoning sacrifice for our sin, our injustice, our unrighteousness. When Jesus cried out on the cross, it is finished. It was fully and forever finished. All of the work of our redemption accomplished through the cleansing blood of Jesus Christ. The overwhelming mountain of the debt of our sin is inscribed with these words, paid in full through that cleansing blood of Jesus. Jesus' work of redemption is indeed fully and forever finished, but the work of our sanctification is not. We continue to grow and grow and grow throughout our entire life in what it means to love God and love our neighbor as we join Jesus on his mission. And from this, this growing in Christ-likeness, our hearts are filled with thanksgiving, with gratitude to God for his amazing grace in Jesus, and so we go forth to keep justice, to do righteousness, trusting that the Lord is not finished with any of us this side of heaven, and that he is working through our imperfect service. In today's gospel lesson, we meet an outsider, a nameless individual, a foreigner, someone who is pretty much considered a non-entity by the good people of Israel. And yet, she has faith that Jesus not only can help her, but will help her and bless her little daughter with healing. She comes boldly to Jesus, and I get the strong impression she is not leaving until she got what she came there for. This Canaanite woman was likely a descendant of the original people who lived in the land long before the Hebrews ever crossed over the Jordan River into that promised land. Or she may have been from those foreign people who were brought in to populate the land after God's people were sent into exile to Babylon. Regardless, she has a need 
and she sought out Jesus. It's not a need she has for herself. It's for her child. And we all know that a desperate parent will do just about anything for the sake of their children. And that's what she's doing. A strange scene follows in which Jesus seems to push her away. I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. It's not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. Wow. Is Jesus calling this woman a dog? Seems pretty harsh. But we've heard a lot worse, haven't we? in recent name-calling going around? Hmm. You see, in first century Israel, this is how God's chosen people looked on those who were foreigners. They were commonly referred to as dogs, and not your furry, friendly pet at home, but nasty, feral dogs of the street who were the ones who ate the garbage. Mangy would sooner bite you than look at you. So what's Jesus up to here? Seems like he's messing with this woman. Is he testing her? Scripture does not tell us why Jesus does what he does, but what we are told is this. That woman, kneeling before Jesus, said this, Yes, Lord, yet even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. And that, my friends, is faith coming before the Lord with all of our need, knowing that we do not have a leg to stand on. We have absolutely no claim on the Lord whatsoever except by His grace. Again and again in the Gospels, it is the outsiders, the foreigners, as well as the demons, who recognize who Jesus is, as this woman did. And her cry of faith ought to be our cry of faith as well. Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. And that's how we come before the Lord as well, with repentance. We who are but dust and ashes. Scripture says our life is like a vapor, a mist. It's here for a moment and then it's gone. We can only come before the Lord with humble repentance. And repentance is simply this, an about face from walking in the old life of sin that takes us down the way of death and destruction and a turning to the Lord who creates in us new and clean hearts. My friends, repentance is not one and done, where we do it once in our life and we're done with it. No, quite the opposite. Repentance is ongoing and daily in the life of the believer.
Luther himself affirmed this in the first of his 95 theses, which he nailed to the doors of the castle church in Wittenberg, Germany on that well-known day in history, October 31st, 1517, which we will observe and give thanks to God for in a couple of months' time on the 500th anniversary of the Reformation. That first of these 95 theses says this, our Lord and Master Jesus Christ willed that the whole life of believers should be repentance. And so it is to be with us all. And it may well be that this thing called repentance will be increasingly important going forward for the life of our communities and for our nation. When all is said and done, repentance is about more than just feeling sorry for sin, the evil we've done, the good we have failed to do. That sorrow over sin, contrition, as it is called, well, that is important, but we can't just stay in that place wallowing in sorrow and contrition forever. It has to lead us somewhere. It must take us somewhere beyond the sorrow. Repentance must lead to faith that God not only can forgive me, but that in Jesus God already has forgiven me. You see, God is already at peace with you for Jesus' sake. Be at peace now with yourself and with those around you. My friends, this is the good news that has the power to transform hearts and minds, changing us from vessels bent on hatred and destruction into vehicles for Jesus' redeeming love, one person at a time. May God make it so in each of our lives for Jesus' sake. Amen.